better place to end the street in Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. Guys going down, guys stepping up. That's what football is all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now? I've had my adventure. I don't need something new. I'm afraid of what I'm risking if I follow you into the unknown. Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. We are T-minus four days until football season, and life is good. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Nick, joined tonight by my co-host, Ben. And we are the Clemson Podcast, here with your 2020 Clemson football season preview show. Ben, we made it. Maybe. Um, I am not nearly as skeptical as I was, uh, you know, a month or so ago. I'm actually quite positive now, 90% that... 90, 95% this season is going to at least start. Um, I guess our barometer will be these um, uh, power five or non-power five games that we're seeing this weekend and kind of see how that works out. But um, I mean, it's been encouraging. The NBA's done fine. The uh, Major League Baseball's done fine after a few hiccups. I don't really know what hockey's doing because I don't pay attention, but um, haven't heard any news out of there. So um, at least in the sporting world, it seems like they're, um, all these different organizations and leagues have been able to navigate this uh, quite well. Yeah, and you know, each one is sort of unique in its own right. Uh, obviously, college football involves you know, massive amounts of anywhere from 18 to 23-year-old uh, players, unless you're talking BYU, and then they're in their 30s. Um, but then, <laughs> you know, large staffs, whereas, you know, pro teams are a little bit different. But in any event, you know, we've sort of gotten through a lot of uncertainty over the summer. Um, certainly more of that we'll touch on here, but all signs pointing to at least Clemson being able to play a single snap of football still in this calendar year, something I was a little bit skeptical about in the June, July timeframe. I think you alluded to that. So, um, yeah, you know, uh, a lot of interesting circumstances have led to this point. You know, there's, there's some conflict going on just generally about, um, you know, do we feel like this is ultimately the best thing, but it's happening. You know, and we're really excited. Right. I think you can you can be of multiple minds at the same time about you know the should and the how, as well as the fact that they are playing. But um, we've got a team and a season to preview today, so I, I basically want to set another caveat. We did this in the last couple shows. We're going to assume we're going to get pretty much full season in. You know, as we preview this and as we talk about it, um, a full season generally happening in the fall. You know, with postseason happening December January timeframe. Um, I don't expect, you know, again, stuff can change and we may be talking about a spring alternative, but, um, we're going to assume all, all systems go. There may be some hiccups along the way with teams or certain players being held out, um, due to COVID-19 precautions or, you know, specific ailments, but well, we've already seen you know, the NC state game moved, right? I didn't know that. So they, they're already expecting to move their first game. Um, yes. So NC state had an outbreak of, I didn't think it was that many guys on the team, but they went ahead and rescheduled, I think their game against, um, I moved to their bye week I don't know which one it was at this point. Um, yeah. And I, I, I know we kind of chatted about this at some point in the last couple of weeks, like good on the ACC for a lot of things in managing this in the off season, but particularly how they scheduled a couple of different bye weeks. Um, throughout the season. Right. And, and, and so know, that's what they did. Be flexible. 
yeah. And so that they were playing Virginia Tech. They were opening up with them this weekend. And so that got moved back to, I guess they both had a common buy date on September 26th. So yeah, certainly smart. We talked about it to put those extra two buy weeks in. Um, and we'll just see how it goes. There's really no precedent for this. So I guess erring on the side of the caution as far as the schedule is concerned was a smart move. Um, but there's still some unknowns. It's, it's going to be quite an interesting season. Yeah. And just, you know, I can tell you from spending a good amount of time on social media, you know, in the midst of Clemson social media, a lot of excitement going on. Um, you were just down in the upstate, Ben, for Cody's wedding. I Cody, was. you know, shockingly not on this show tonight. Um, congratulations to Cody and his wife, Vanessa. Uh, how's the wedding been? What's the attitude, what's the feeling and the attitude in the upstate about this football season as well? Um, well, the wedding was great. It was um, good to be back in South Carolina. Um, up in Greenville. Greenville has just become a beautiful city. Um, I quite enjoy it there every time I go back. Um, it was great to hang out with, uh, you know, some of Cody's friends who I've met before and some new ones that I met. Um, I met his mom, uh, Joy, who has been shouted out many times on this show, um, her along with my uncle Billy. So hi to her. She's got a beautiful and wonderful new daughter-in-law. Um, unfortunately, she still has Cody a son um <laughs> life sentence yeah no but but in all seriousness uh, they're a beautiful couple and can't wait to get cody back on the show to talk to him um otherwise as far as football's uh, chatter is concerned uh, people are excited but there's still that um kind of feeling that you're still skeptical or you're still unsure you don't have the same excitement as you would have in in normal years um, but I think that has started to build momentum as we get closer to the game, the first game. And I think as this week rolls along, um, that is going to get picked up and people are going to be really excited to see uh, the Tigers take the field this Saturday. Yeah, I think it's common for most college football fans here. It's going to be a weird year and kind of the run up in anticipation is different and probably pretends what's going to just be an odd season after the game starts too, just from right. a, an attitude standpoint and seeing what's going on across the country. So um, stay tuned, buckle in. Uh, we're about to get into it. Um, ben, I think the way we should probably break this show down is common to how we generally do all of our season previews. Like it's a combination kind of look ahead to the schedule, our predictions for the season, as well as to get there, examining a little bit the, the roster and the team and kind of what's, what's new, what's different. Um, I think we should just break that down by offense, defense, and then get into a little bit more like the schedule preview and look ahead. Just from an uncertainty and newness standpoint, you know, the offense is really the one that returns the most guys, probably the most. Um, your expectations will probably match what we see on the field the most with the offense relative to the defense. So um, why don't we start there and maybe to frame this and kind of tee us up here. And, you know, earlier today, the team releases depth chart for the wake game coming up. You can pretty much think about that as like the season too deep at this point. Um, there's some interesting stuff on there. Um, I guess we'll probably start with the offense. And was there anything in the too deep that really struck your eye as interesting, um, you know, across across the depth chart? Really, I think we had a lot of guys penciled in at certain spots, so there was not too much um, intrigue here. But I'm really looking at that receiver position is where we saw a little bit of a not a, not a coup or a change so much, but um, just a little bit of an emergence of Cornell Powell. Yeah, so that's the one thing that stands out to me is uh, Cornell Powell um, uh, slotted in there, that boundary receiver. Um, and then Lance moving over to 
um, second string behind Nagata at field position. Um, so that's the first thing that, that, that stood out to me. Um, I would have expected to see both of those guys on the, the field at the same time, but I think that speaks a lot to Cornell Powell's emergence, as you mentioned. Also, you know, Nagata and Latson um, had some issues with uh, contract tracing COVID protocol, which kept them out a good bit of August practice. So that certainly probably set Freight Lanson uh, back a little bit. Um, but give credit to Cornell Powell for, for stepping in there. You know, he's been around for seems like six years now. Um, and good news, he has another year of eligibility. So we'll see if he's back next year. Yeah, let's hope. Um, great for him. You know, kudos for kind of busting his tail and kind of waiting his turn, you can call it that, and kind of sticking with the team and the program, choosing not to transfer. I don't know if that was kind of on, on the radar at all, but um, awesome to see that, you know, really hope for and expect good things there. I know you touched on kind of seeing both Ladson and Gata on the field at the same time. You know, you probably meant more in the starting role sure. um, in kind of a traditional kind of three receiver set. I suspect, and this maybe can pivot us a little bit in this scheme, you know, we will see both of those guys on the field. Absolutely. Together. And, we, and, and, you know, with new guys joining this, um, this wide receiver core, um, EJ Williams is being one name that I would throw out there. Um, you're going to see a lot of rotation coming in and a lot of snaps, you know, across the receiver that um, going on. So um, I, I guess like if you think about, you know, T Higgins gone, um, we've got the emergence now of Braden Galloway at tight end. Um, Justin Ross also won't be suiting up, at least not for the first several games of the season. We do hope he's able to make a return this year. I don't not think in a rush. I don't think yeah, he's going to play at all. He's, we should go ahead and assume he's not um, going to be a different personnel look for the offense. Um, you know, trying to think back at what we saw from this offense a year ago, like where do you see the most change uh, between the 2019 Clemson team and this offense? Well, hopefully there's uh, well, the wide receiver position, hopefully there's a lot less drop balls uh, this year. Higgins and Ross struggled with that a little bit at, at times last year. Then also, you, of course, you had Trevor Lawrence with his kind of high rate of interceptions early on. So it'll be interesting. You know, you had um, two guys who had played before coming back and Higgins and Ross and then obviously Lawrence, obviously Lawrence. So there should have been some chemistry there, but they're kind of a little bit rusty and struggled out of the gate. Um, kind of relied on Ross and Higgins just to kind of go up for balls um, and fight for them with no passing attack really over the middle. So I expect that we'll see a big increase in passing over the middle this year as Amari Rogers is healthier. You mentioned Braden Galloway is going to be back. And I think that that tight end position is where um, it kind of helps lessen some of the blow to losing Ross because you look at this wide receiver lineup and there's not a lot of proven guys on the depth chart. I mean, you've got Cornell Powell we spoke about and you've got Amari Rogers, but outside of them, um, you know, you've got some, some freshmen and sophomores who haven't played a lot. Yeah. So it's, sort of uh you kind of need to see what we're dealing with with some of that youth coming in but you could definitely imagine different looks um i would say third down is probably another area that we'll sort of see you know we hope there's an improvement there on third down um no longer third and renfro um, last year so we we're kind of reeling from that mari rogers um definitely potent in pockets last year uh, but not fully he's kind of even spoken about it um not really fully activated last year so um, he may be a good option for the Tigers on third down, as well as Powell, um, you know, kind of where he's going to be in the field, um, helping over the middle. So, yeah, I think just uh, kind of the the looks and sort of what you get um, in the passing game is going to be interesting. 
I, I know we also talked about this in a previous show. I, I actually feel like the running game is also going to be something where you could see a different, uh, different Clemson team this year. Um, Lynn J. Dixon definitely saw a good amount of snaps a year ago. And obviously we had Travis Etienne, but Etienne was, had one of the most efficient seasons in the history of college football last year. And, you know, with some of the potential O-line turnover and with some of the youth in the receiving core, I kind of asked you guys the question, could we see Clemson move more in a direction of a run first offense or at least more? I mean, they've been pretty balanced and pretty efficient, but really something where they exert their will more in the running game. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we got a stable running back, so there's a lot of, of, of carries available there in that backfield. So it'll be interesting to see how Tony Elliott kind of keeps them all um, happy or, or fed, so to speak. You got Travis Etienne coming back. Of course, he's going to command his fair share of carries, um, especially you need to reward him for coming back, right? So and behind him, you know, you have Lynn J. Dixon, uh, Darian Renchers, they've been talking a lot about him. And then you got the guys coming in, Demarcus Bowman. Uh, uh, Kobe Pace, um, and then what? Mikey Malu- Dukes is still Mikey, around, right? Mikey, Mikey Dukes and Malusi. So there's just a ton of guys there um, that you're yeah. going to have to feed the ball to this year. And I think one thing that um, will kind of lend itself to that is though we are replacing four starting offensive linemen, I think we might actually be better across the starting front and in, uh, in, in run blocking this year. I think in that regard, the Mac Bockhorst is an upgrade to John Simpson at at left guard. Um, and not to mention the coaches have been raving about this offensive line. They say there's no step down. If not, there could be a, a little bit of a step up with this year's unit. So I think that'll certainly lend itself to that. Um, but, you know, they, they're going to be spreading the ball around. And I think it's going to be a balanced passing and rushing attack um, just because, you know, you saw in the playoffs last year um, that, that killer passing attack, which Clemson kind of missed last year, to be honest with you. Um, is something we need to get back to, to be competitive once we start playing against elite teams. Yeah, I think one of the things that will be a theme of this show is the regular season is going to be a completely different deal than the playoffs. Like once again, with the ACC schedule we play, and uh, this year's out of conference was going to be Notre Dame. We still keep them on the schedule, but we face off against the Citadel. Uh, we won't really have that marquee SEC opponent or even a South Carolina team that, you know, in pockets might – you know, step up on one given Saturday to challenge this offense. So it is going to be a matter of how can the Clemson team kind of develop during the season against the, the opponents they play uh, to be able to face off against um, an Alabama, Georgia, a Florida, if they get in or an LSU, if they sneak in um, really in like the January timeframe. So. Yeah. So, and I, and I think that's where and more than anything else, we want to move over to the offensive line here and focus on them of where that uh, not having depth on the, on the two deep is probably going to be the, the, the biggest thing that we need to focus on is the improvement of those guys this year. So it'll be interesting to see as the season goes along, you've seen, you know, in a lot of reports that perhaps we should expect the first team offense to carry much more of the load or the first team offensive line to carry much more of the load this year than they have in years past. And they may not be substituting guys as much, but I tend to think the opposite because I think you need to get guys in there and get them some playing time, especially since we don't have an incredibly tough schedule um, to kind of build that depth at the two deep. And, you know, you're removing the, the, the red shirt rule this year, giving everybody the extra year of eligibility. So they may be a little bit more free and uh, rotating some other guys in with all these freshmen, you know, Walker parks is a guy um, backing up at left tackle who, who um, everybody's high on. 
um, and several other freshmen. I think they're going to want to run in there to, to see what they got. Um, so, I mean, the question is at that point, does that in any way hurt us at the end of the year when we go up, um, we get into the playoffs and we play higher caliber teams. If the first team offensive line isn't as conditioned um, maybe as they would be otherwise, I think you saw a little bit of that last year um, when we finally got punched in the nose against Ohio State and, and LSU that part of it was that those guys just weren't conditioned throughout the season because they didn't play nearly as many snaps and the competition just wasn't that great. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they, how they, how they navigate this this year. I still tend to think that um, they rotate in a lot of guys as per usual, right? That's what we're used to seeing from Clemson. And it doesn't matter that um, there is some lack of depth there right now. I think the point will be to build it. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I mean, I, I do think it'll be interesting just to see from the game plan perspective, does Clemson keep kind of the starting team on the field, establish that big lead, then start to rotate in the second, third string, as you mentioned, or like, how is the coaching staff really going to keep conditioning up? Um, I don't think the first team O-line saw very much or saw very many first fourth quarter snaps last season. You know, does that change at all this year? Um, I think kind of spoiler alert, neither of us are expecting very many Clemson games this year to make it into the fourth quarter um, in, in kind of a one score game. Uh, so yeah, just will be interesting to see there. Um, in addition, I think to game action, you've also got to understand, you know, is there anything else they could do, you know, from a practice perspective to kind of keep that um, strength and conditioning wise, uh, keep the team sharp. Yeah, and I think it actually may be kind of the same case with the wide receivers. I know we're used to subbing in a lot of those guys out. It'll be interesting to see if they stick with that this year, knowing that you don't have those returners and Higgins and Ross who have plenty of experience. Like, and God and Latson still need to make that connection. You know, there needs to be some chemistry built with uh, Trevor Lawrence. So, do you see um, as much, you know, how much adjudge do we see? You know, he's third on the depth chart. We've heard a lot about him, but he's a developmental guy. Uh, Brandon Spector, um, you've heard his name a lot here in the offseason. I expect this to see him a bunch, but back to freshman EJ Williams behind Cornell Powell at that spot. Um, yeah, I just wonder kind of the same thing with the offensive line. Do they rely heavily on the starters to kind of get them seasoned or do they, you know, share the wealth like we've seen the past several years? Yeah, Ben, I'm going to use this opportunity, I think, to pivot us to kind of two components of the offense that we have not really touched on too much right now, uh, Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence, and kind of what they bring back to this squad. Um, and I'll, I'll start with TL, actually. I think, um, you know, all-world quarterback really has an opportunity to cement his legacy in Clemson as possibly the best quarterback we've ever had. I think Deshaun Watson clearly that quarterback for most people, um, but with what TL has done from a leadership perspective off the field um, throughout the last two seasons, primarily this off season, um, as well as just on the field uh, potential for this year. Um, if he gets that second championship, you know, that again, that, that might do it for most people. Um, I think in order to get to that point, you know, what TL has ahead of him, um, what he has to work on, you could kind of call it for this year um, to excel is going to be building chemistry with his wide receiver core and with that O-line. And that's going to be something that you can really look for, you know, from the start throughout the beginning part of the season when our schedule is not that tough is, you know, you know, are things clicking there? You know, does he seem to be in rhythm and in sync with his receivers from a timing perspective? And then does he, 
do you get the sense of trust with the O-line or is he kind of bailing out and using his legs early and often, um, you know, in, in pass protection? Yeah, uh, no, I agree. I think, um, you know, a couple things that I would look, we, we, we know what, we all know what he does well, right? Um, and he is legitimate Heisman contender this year. I think we've got two legitimate Heisman contenders, contenders obviously, with Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. My gut tells me Trevor Lawrence. Um, but you know, all that being said, there are some things that he could have stood to work on coming out of last year. And I think one, you've already started to see that develop in the off season with everything going on. Um, and that's his leadership. And he's really grown into that role. Um, he wasn't quite as vocal when he came in as a freshman. Of course, that's to be expected, but that's really developed over the last couple of years. And you saw that really, um, um, take off and flourish this summer. And so, and we've also seen that, um, you know, with his push to get college football going again. So, especially during these uncertain times and um, the unpredictability of the season, it's great to have a guy like that leading your team. And I think we're going to really see all that uh, culminate in, um, you know, his leadership talents really hitting a a peak this year. And um, we've already seen that start to develop. So that's one thing that he could have been working on in the off season. Another is just kind of the consistency. You saw him get off to a slow start last year. There was a bunch of interceptions early on. So just getting that consistency going early on and executing in the passing game and being more um, aggressive in the passing game over the middle. So um, again, nitpicking there, there's not a lot to work on when you're the presumptive number one draft pick and the leading Heisman uh, trophy contender. So um I expect but, him to but, but then we've seen we've seen lesser guys crumble though with that sort of spotlight on them, and it seems like Trevor Lawrence is unflappable. With you know, he's very much lived up to the hype on the field, and then now we're starting to see that off the field, like him emerge and be you know a unifying voice. So couldn't be more proud of the guy. And I feel like you know this year is really about I don't even know if it's like taking a step forward. It's just like hitting his potential, kind of being consistent, as you mentioned. And um, starting to hit the right stride with this year's offense, but you know, yeah. we, I think we both have every bit of confidence that he will figure that out. And he's a championship quarterback. We've already seen it. Yeah, it's really just polishing his game, uh, putting the final touches on before he goes to the NFL. Um, he's got all the the intangibles, um, he, and he's just another in those long line of guys that we're so uh, proud of to represent Clemson University. Um, he's in the same mold as Deshaun Watson, and. Um, it's really exciting to see. We've been blessed to see this caliber and talent of, of quarterback and character uh, leading our program the past uh, several years. Um, and hey, it's only looking up to continue with uh, DJ Youngalele and uh, Tyson Pumachan in the wings. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, Ben, that we're talking about potentially having the greatest quarterback in school history, while we also have potentially the greatest running back in school history, both having played together for three years. Um, you know, no coincidence that both of them are, are so good. They kind of build off of one another and where this offense has gotten. Um, I think to get a bonus year of Travis Etienne this year, seeing both guys opt into playing, you know, is another thing that you can kind of chalk up to um, just what the culture is built in, at Clemson, what the, what, the, what the coaching staff has built from a cultural standpoint at Clemson. Uh, but I'm not taking any snaps that those two play together for granted this season. Yeah, absolutely not. Right. Well, that was one of the most disappointing things. The prospect of losing the season or even pushing it to the spring is that we weren't going to get to see uh, Trevor Lawrence in his third year and then ETN 
in his fourth year having decided to come back. Um, so that, I mean, those are the couple of things I'm most excited about. And I think you're right. We got to, we got to cherish these moments. Um, you know, every time ETN touches the ball, just, you know, remember this is probably the last time it was definitely gonna be the last time you see him in a Clemson uniform this year. And, it, and it's a game by game basis, right? We don't know if the season could be cut short uh, because of COVID related issues. So yeah, don't take it for granted, man. And I mean, just how great has it been to watch Travis Etienne over the last several years? I mean, the guy that <clears throat> came out of nowhere, um, what was he, three stars um, out, of, uh, out of Louisiana? Yeah, it was um, a late signing because we did not sign the guy from North Carolina who went to Georgia, whose name was escaping me. He's had some injury troubles there. DeAndre but. Swift? Um, one of the other running backs. What, yeah, one of those guys. <laughs> Georgia has a ton uh, of it, running backs that don't live over their potential, it seems like. Um, <laughs> yeah, so he was kind of in Gallman's shadow that first year and then, you know, kind of took the took the running back room by storm in his second year. Yeah, overtook Tavian Feaster. Yeah. Um, nah, he's he's just been a pleasure to watch. Um, and he's just such an explosive guy. And just like Trevor Lawrence, he has things that he can improve on, which is in large part probably why he made the decision to come back. Um, <clears throat> as with all running backs come into college. It's working on their, their, their pass protection um, skills. You know, when you get to the NFL, you're expected to come in knowing how to do that. It's unlike college. So polishing up that part of his game and then also continuing to prove um, uh, uh, as a receiver out of the backfield. Um, so, I, I mean, I think we saw in the playoff, certainly he's excelled in that in that area. A- absolutely. So and he, he's continued to make progress. You know, he's great at all the other things. So I think you really see it all come together uh, this year is um, and him really become a complete player and work his way up pretty high in the draft. Yeah. It's, you know, probably an unfair comparison to the Clemson guys, but you kind of think back to like the Matt Liner, or Reggie Bush era USC offenses in those teams where they're just, you know, super potent and two stars and two Heisman candidates, you know, being Heisman finalists. Um, I think this may be sort of the first team to, to achieve that level. Um, I guess Ohio state had, um, had a couple years where they had a couple guys go uh, to New York, but um, yeah, just, you know, the, these guys are establishing kind of like an era defining level of productivity from the two key offensive positions here. So, uh, so, so what's your pick Trevor or ETN for Heisman? I agree with you that, I mean, look, like, look at the results. It's a quarterback trophy to lose generally, um, unless you, you are a running back that just gets a prolific amount of carries. <laughs> ETN just doesn't in this offense. And we, just, we spent a few minutes earlier touching on how deep that running back room is. Uh, we know Tony Elliott, he is the running back's coach, but he is also uh, the, an engineer driver of this offense and he spreads the ball out. So I would say from a, a play-by-play impact, I would say ETN is probably the more explosive, outstanding player. Uh, but I think TL is going to amass the type of accolades and stats. And already he's got, like, he's kind of the leader in the clubhouse from a, an off-season leadership. Like, that story, those vignettes, Tom, Rinaldi, everybody else kind of writes themselves at the Heisman ceremony. So yeah, and we, and we TL train. Yeah, and we know how this trophy is generally awarded before the season even gets started. Well, that's the thing it's usually a September Heisman, right? Like, right. And that's kind of a bummer that Clemson does not have a marquee matchup in the month of September that we, I mean, look like either guy could just show up, just go off entirely. Um, 
I think voters kind of know that they're they're both really, you know, really solid. Maybe Chuba Hubbard just goes off in the month of September and like people do what they did with Lamar Jackson and already awarded to him. But, um, you know, I think without Justin Fields, you know, and again, I'm assuming that Ohio State is not going to be a part of this. Uh, Justin Fields not there playing. Like, I think it probably is TL to lose this year. Yeah, <laughs> I totally agree with you. I think, I mean, even ETN was what, like a nine carry a game um, guy last year. He would have to be averaging probably 12 to 13 carries a game, I would think at least, just to rack up the numbers or have some ridiculous uh, yards per carry number at like 10 or more, you know, um, with a with just a ridiculous amount of touchdowns, which looking at our schedule can't happen. <laughs> and we talked about the offensive line maybe better in run blocking this year, so who knows. But I think Trevor Lawrence is just because – that running back group is so deep with Lynn J. Dixon um, returning as well as all the other guys. And then, you know, Bowman coming in, who's going to be expected to get a bunch of carries. Um, Whereas Trevor Lawrence is just going to see the field more, you know, maybe he's out by halftime, but I think that's still going to get him um, enough plays to kind of push him ahead of ETN because he's going to do it, you know, through the air running with his legs. It's just going to be so focused around him. It's going to be hard for ETN um, in somewhat limited playing time, again, given how much we sub and the depth of the running back position that I think, yeah, it, it seems obvious to me that it would be Trevor between the two, but you know, I would love to see, a make, great, I would love to see a great competition between the two of those guys this year going back and forth. I mean, let me make a quick case for ETN over TL, you know, expectations on TL being so high. You see a couple of games, you know, last year, Louisville, that game comes to mind. The North Carolina game comes to mind, like kind of slow starts, kind of not, you know, not looking too zippy. Um, that sort of thing happens. You can, I don't want to say you can eliminate him, but then the burden of him having to rack up just ridiculous that um, is going to be that much higher to win the award. Whereas if ETN is just like truly consistent, two, three touchdowns a game, you know, hundred yards per contest, which we know he can get on nine carries because he did it all throughout last year and the year prior. Um, you know, ETN two years ago set the single season touchdown record for Clemson. He didn't even make it to New York that year. So um, I guess that's maybe a case against him getting to New York. But I think, you know, there is definitely like if TL sort of, if the, if the national chatter is off of TL, like maybe the coaching staff rides ETN, decides to go for it. I mean, I think that's maybe one one accolade in the Dabo era that we, that we haven't seen this team accomplish. It is an individual player award, but you could also largely say it's a little bit of a team and a program award too, um, that I'm sure Dabo would love to add at some stage. And I can't think of two more deserving guys than these two. Yeah, absolutely. Hey man, it's going to be a really fun offense to watch this year. Um, As long as, you know, that first team offensive line stays healthy and that second team can become a productive unit and some wide receivers step up, then um, yeah, we're just going to be back to seeing those dynamic offenses that, that we're used to seeing. Um, I guess the big question for everybody is, are we slow out of the gate as we usually are on offense, kind of shaking off the rust, um, you know, slow to open up the playbook. I would really love to see us for once come out and, you know, hit on all cylinders early on. But, you know, as coaches say, you don't want to be, you don't want to play your best game in the first game of the season, right? Yeah. You save that that play for the end. Right. You want to get better as the season goes along. I mean, we haven't touched too much on the scheme changes we're looking to see from Tony Elliott in this offense. Um, and, you know, a lot of influence from kind of the likes of Brandon Streeter um, and the quarterback play. But uh, I think, you know, some, 
some chatter we had offline before recording was, will we see as much of TL flash in the running game? You know, last year he exhibited a lot of toughness, obviously in the Ohio state game, his legs were crucial to that victory um, and just keeping defenses on their toes. Uh, I think you can kind of talk about it both ways where, yeah, that'd be great to continue to develop that as a weapon in the offense because you have a, you have a blocking advantage when your quarterback is running, but there's also a little bit less faith in the backup situation, you know, relative to having Chase Bryce a year ago. So, um, and just the health of TL and how important that is during a COVID season. Um, that's maybe some, some kind of scheme change we see. And we also touched on just does this become maybe more of a run first type offense where um, there's a good amount of like more touches on first down, I guess, the ETN, you know, so we're not facing kind of thirds and longs. Yeah, well, and that's one thing certainly for the offense to improve on, right, is to be more efficient on first and second down. Um, um, and so maybe that does lend itself to more curious for ETM, but even more curious for Trevor. You know, we, we all cringe many times last year, especially early in the season, seeing Trevor run so much. But listen, that's part of this offense. It's part of the identity of the, uh, this offense, and he's really damn good at it. Um, so I don't see that being taken away and maybe, maybe it's pulled back a little bit because you have to be a little more cautious. Uh, you, you touched on it. I think the coaches, um, had more confidence in Chase Bryce last year as a backup and they will with, uh, DJ or Tyson, uh, coming into this year. And then also, you know, there's the COVID thing, right? Like there's these, these other risks that are out there. Um, say, you know, DJ goes down with COVID and, um, Trevor gets hurt during a game on a running play and then you're, then you're left with Tyson. Um, and then who's behind him. Right. So yeah, there's some more risks to think about, but I don't know. I, I, I tend to think that they almost go business as usual, um, and let the COVID thing be what it is. And, but I don't know, maybe they are thinking about that extra added dimension. They've surely had a long time to think about it over the off season. Uh, but I still, I, I still think we're going to see some moments where we're like, why is Trevor Lawrence running the ball? Yeah. Yeah. One other kind of area that I, when I think about defenses that can challenge this offense, um, you know, it, it, it likely is going to be those that can get after the quarterback and create pressure. I look back not as much to the LSU game. Um, they definitely disrupted Trevor, but I feel like almost that was perhaps more kind of between the ears with Trevor. Um, seeing some of his receivers drop passes, some no calls, from the officials, that kind of thing sort of compounded. Uh, but, you know, what happened to this Clemson offense when Chase, Chase Young and the Ohio State D-line were creating pressure last year? Um, you know, the, the T. Higgins, kind of Justin Ross, you know, grind it to the outside type offense didn't necessarily work. But this team was able to manufacture yards and drives and touchdowns through you know, the screen passing game and kind of the short over the middle passing to ETN, um, as well as Trevor Lawrence with his legs. I feel like that's the kind of defensive effort that you're going to need to stop and slow down this Clemson offense again, like make them be you with those non-traditional, non-conventional, like the offense that they're not trying to go out and exert. Yeah. Um, I think, but, I mean, yeah, I, I think to beat our offense, you have to make us make spectacular plays and just live with that when we do. Um, and I think it, it means getting pressure on the quarterback. I think you have to stack the box and get pressure on Trevor and make him uh, flush him out of the pocket and make him make plays on the run. Now that, that kid can throw on the run better than anybody I've seen. Um, so it doesn't guarantee success, but I think what will guarantee failure is if you just try to you know set seven guys back 
and, and, and try to cover our wide receivers. You know, you give Trevor time, um, he's good enough and our wide receivers are good enough that they're going to get separation and they're going to make plays. So, yeah, I think you, I think the, the way to beat this Clemson offense is that you got to get pressure on the quarterback and go from there. Yeah, you know, one thing we'll be looking for is can the wide receiver talent on the team create that one-on-one matchup? You know, can they go up and win those 50-50 balls in one-on-one matchups? If so, it's going to be a really long day for a lot of defenses this season because, um, you know, we've got, we're very confident in the first team O-line. So they're going to sort of have to bring additional numbers there. And if uh, our receivers are going to, you know, take that one-on-one and, um, you know, create first downs and touchdowns out of it, uh, going to be a really tough offense to defend. Yeah, I think I think if you see us being efficient early on, um, we're not setting ourselves up with a bunch of third and longs and we're converting third downs when we do and put together more consistent drives this year. Um, that's going to be a good sign moving forward throughout the rest of the season because that was one of the major issues with this offense last year. And they still put up a ton of stats and a ton of points, but it wasn't efficient. Right. And that's where I, I look to a healthier Amari Rogers, the emergence of Cornell Powell. Um, we'll see sort of what we get through the rest of the, of the ranks of the receiving core. Um, and again, you know, uh, Braden Galloway over the middle, yep. you know, that it'll be kind of a new look Clemson offense on third down. So I agree that that's going to be something I am looking for. We'll see, you know, in the wake game, you know, in the Citadel game, in the Virginia game early on, just to understand like where, who becomes kind of that third down option for the team. And is that something that's really clicking and working? And yeah, and I think those are the things to be excited about early in the season when the competition isn't that great. Um, it's seeing the development uh, of some of these other guys um, and then what kind of schemes uh, they're thrown into and then how good we are with the execution. Um, that's what we have to hang our hat on until competition gets better towards the end of the year. Yeah, well, uh, Ben, I think I'm good on the offense. Why don't we flip over to D? Cool. So uh, this is the one I'm really excited to talk about. And I'm super pumped for this season because this will be a new look defense. Uh, Clemson should be returning this year to do more punishing defensive line play, which we hung our hat on in that 2015 to 18 era. You know, the Power Rangers rise to power and dominance. Uh, it'll, it'll look a little different, but uh, really, I think we know this is going to happen with a move back to a 4-3 formation um, in, the, in the front. And this is possible, number one, due to the departure of Isaiah Simmons and kind of what he gave you um, all over the field, kind of playing multiple positions, as well as some of the talent and health on the defensive line. It's really just an abundance of names and talent there that uh, really can give Brent Venables and his coaching staff um, a lot of different looks and a lot of different potential there that really wasn't possible with the roster that we had a season ago. Uh, so right out of the gates, this is going to be a new look defense for fans. And uh, it should remind people of that kind of heyday during this run. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be quite amazing to see the, the, the shift in the defensive scheme or just a different look of the defense this year as compared to last year. And I think it's going to be a defense that we're much more comfortable with uh, as Clemson fans watching out there on the field. Uh, just with the, the strong foundation, with a strong defensive line up front. And it's amazing what recruiting can do, right? A complete 180 from last year, um, where we relied on the linebackers in the secondary, specifically Isaiah Simmons, to make up for just a lack of depth across the defensive front. We had good guys up there, but not enough bodies. 
Uh, so switching back to the four three this year, you're gonna you're gonna see that open up Tyler Davis. He's not gonna have as many double teams or triple teams to work around. Um, that really is it's gonna let our ends uh, kind of run free and uh, and get after the quarterback more than we did last year. So yeah, completely new look to this defense. Um, you know, losing Isaiah Simmons obviously hurts. But just having that power up on the defensive line again and all that talent and then and guys that are going to wreak havoc, that is going to take a lot of pressure off the linebackers in secondary and, again, get us back to a Clemson defense that I think that we're more familiar with. Yeah, Ben, um, in the last couple episodes, I think we did a good job of going through the talent on the roster, kind of the names and the, you know, the, the chatter coming out of fall camp. Um, knowing that we saw the two deep released uh, – basically over the weekend, over the long weekend, uh, for the ahead of the weight game coming up this Saturday. Um, I want to ask you, like, who are kind of two impact guys that you see really emerging on this defense uh, that are going to become household names for Clemson fans? Uh, two is hard to pick, man. And, well, and, and throw it in there, too, that Xavier Thomas is out for an extended period of time, too. And we still uh, <clears throat> think that this is a major upgrade on the defensive line this year. And now hearing he's going to come back sooner than later, I think had he not been hurt, I would certainly peg him as a guy that's going to benefit from going back to that 4-3. Um, but kind of taking him out of the equation because he's, he's hurt, um, I think obviously it's going to be Tyler Davis. He had a phenomenal freshman year. Um, and again, I think in a 4-3 defense, that's going to uh, suit him better. He's not going to be in there just necessarily plugging up holes. He's going to be moving the line back and help collapsing that pocket. Um, and then Brian Brisset, I mean, I, I think it's got to be him. He's penciled in there as co-starter with Niles Pickney and Jordan Williams um, at the other defensive tackle position. Um, and he's a guy that's versatile, right? He can move out and play in, so they can shift to like a 3-4 and move him out to end in certain instances. Um, and I think he's going to be a huge disruptor this year. Um, you know, they're, they're saying he's a guy that's coming like a freshman to the likes that we've never seen before. And I know we keep hearing that about a lot of players. Uh, you know, they talk about Malcolm Green as being the best quarterback that, or cornerback that's ever come through here as a freshman. Um, but they're generally right. It's generally not hyperbole. Um, so, yeah, I, I would focus on those two guys on the interior defensive line. And I think that's going um, uh, to have a ripple effect out to the rest of the defense. It's going to make the defensive ends uh, more effective going to make the linebackers more effective and it's going to take a lot of burden off the secondary because they're not going to have to be able to they're not going to have to cover as long with the pressure we're going to be getting yeah i mean i don't know if top to bottom you're going to see the de's really stack up to what cleve Furl and austin bryant did and in, in their in their third and fourth years on the team respectively um but that being said i mean i feel like the middle part of that line play is going to be reminiscent of the dax and christian wilkins contributions of the championship run and Albert Huggins don't want to kind of downplay his contributions there too. And if we sort of have that depth and that contribution in the middle, it can certainly help already solid guys like Justin Foster. And we're hoping KJ Henry can make the leap this year. You know, they're going to be, they're going to be able to look a lot better. And then by playoff time, maybe we get a hungry and potent Xavier Thomas back, you know, that could be, you know, a shot of jet fuel into this team. So. Yeah, and you've got freshman Miles Murphy too. You know, if you have to rank the freshmen, you know, Brisset is probably one A, and Miles Murphy one B. They're both going to get a ton of playing time uh, this year. So yeah, I expect the defensive ends are, are going to wreak more havoc. Uh, Justin Foster has been uh, dealing with some issues this past week or so, so a little bit uncertain for the weight game this week. We don't know what that is, but again, you know, guys behind him, Greg Maskell, Greg or Justin Maskell, Greg Williams. 
Um, I think the coaches, the coaching staff has confidence in them. And it just speaks to, again, the tremendous amount of depth we have this year um, as compared to last year, right? Losing uh, Logan Rudolph, deciding not to come back. Xavier Thomas, obviously with his issues, and now maybe Jester Foster being out. And yet we're still not Xavier Kelly that concerned. Xavier Kelly transferred on the defensive line. So, right. Yep. Yeah, just a, just an influx of talent, and you know you see what getting those five star freshmen can do. And the defensive line is one of those areas, especially defensive tackles, where five star freshmen can come in and make an immediate impact. Yeah, kind of elsewhere on the defense, I want to talk up for a minute uh, the defensive position group previews posted up over at ShakingTheSouthland.com. Um, John did the D line, and Calvin crafted the linebackers. Alex took the safeties, and QT took cornerbacks. You guys should all go read those. They take about five to eight minutes, give you a real good understanding of not only the talent, uh, but the schematic expectations for the season and sort of, you know, ceilings and floors, that kind of thing is all really good stuff. Um, when I think about sort of the back seven, um, if we want to call it that, I really think the ceiling of this defense is going to be defined this year by the cornerback play. And really the big two questions are going to be, does Darian Kendrick cement his his stranglehold really on the the key leading corner position um, does he take a step forward you know in his progression from an offense first kind of high school quarterback wide receiver coming into Clemson over to corner had a great first year he was not the primary target the primary option he will be this year um, so I think that's one big question the second is we sort of expected Mario Goodrich to establish that second corner position it, it likely is going to be Andrew Booth to lose this year does he really step into that role and meet his potential there? Um, he's had a really good camp. People are saying great things. Uh, can he keep that up? Can he stay healthy? Can he kind of be disciplined? If both of those guys hit their potential, this can be an all-time good Clemson defense. So I really see the ceiling of the holistic defense be predicated by the cornerback play because if we are going to expect disruption up front, then it's going to have to be you know quick decision-making by opposing quarterbacks. And that's really where the corner position is going to be critical. Yeah. So, you know, Dabo has said many times that this cornerback, uh, uh, the guys at this position group is probably the best that, that, that he's had come through here under his tenure as Clemson head coach, which is interesting because none of these quarterbacks are necessarily proven guys, right? The only one being Darian Kendrick was still, he has a lot to work on and he survived on sheer talent last year. Um, and as you mentioned, AJ Terrell was the, was the main cornerback uh, that, that usually, um, you know, picked up the matchup with the opposing team's best wide receiver. So I think with him, uh, it's really, uh, you know, being more knowledgeable of the position, um, and not relying on that talent alone. And I think you're going to see that this year. We know he has the mindset. We know he has the ability to do that. So yes, I expect to see him flourish. I think the other, the real question is going to be if Andrew Booth really lives up to the hype came in as a really touted, uh, highly touted freshman, had some nagging um, injury issues from, from high school that kind of slowed him down a little bit last year, but he's really stepped up and kind of moved up on that depth chart to assuming that starter's role. You know, it's interesting to have Kendrick and Anthony Williams um, penciled in as co-starters on one side and Andrew Booth and Mario Goodrich penciled in on, on the other side. I don't know what that means other than it depends on who has the better week of practice um, and also trying to motivate some of these guys. But um you know, the depth is there. You've got, again, Williams and Goodrich, both uh, both juniors, uh, Anthony Williams, the red shirt. And then, 
you know, behind them, you got Sheridan Jones out there, not to mention Malcolm Green. We've all been hearing the hype about him. Um, interesting that he's not even showing up on the depth chart uh, yet, but expect him to play a lot. And I think by the end of the year, you're going to see him move up probably to uh, um, as high as um, second on the depth chart. So, yeah, a ton of talent at this position. Uh, do not doubt Dabo about that. But again, a lot of unproven guys, you know, out there in crunch time absent or just except for Darren Kendrick, who obviously started all last year long. Right. And sticking with the secondary from the safety position, Landon Xanders looks to be securing that free safety position. Um, you'll have uh, returning, I guess, was he fifth year at this point? Um, Nolan, Nolan Turner. Turner. Yeah. Red shirt. Yeah. So he'll, he'll sort of be holding down the strong, um, from just an understanding of kind of safeties and the way that they operate. I think it remains to be seen how much Clemson puts, you know, dime looks and nickel looks out on the field. Um, probably a lot more nickel this year than dime based on having that fourth three front. Um, but I think it will be interesting to see kind of which safeties sort of get that next guy off the bench, um, into, into this defense. Uh, but you know, Nolan Turner, everyone kind of remembers the, you know, boomer bust or feast or famine kind of approach with him last year, where he made a lot of heads up plays, forced fumbles, um, picking up fumbles, causing interceptions against Justin Fields to uh, win a semifinal game, um, as well as kind of busted run fits or being exposed in coverage. I think obviously he's had another off season to develop and work on some of those things and really be a leader in the, the secondary um, and be coached up. So we're expecting good things out of Nolan Turner. We really hit the best case scenario from him kind of as Alex pointed out. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's good. Let's just hope we can kind of continue to see that. I feel like a lot of people felt the same way about uh, Tanner Muse in prior, prior seasons. Obviously he went on to an NF he's signed with the Raiders and I believe he's out with an injury right now, unfortunately, but um, in any event, you know, I feel like safety doesn't feel like a huge liability for this team. And actually the pressure on them to be excellent is a lot less knowing what, what we have from a talent perspective elsewhere on the defense. Um, but this is just an area where, you know, if it comes down to safety play to win a championship, I feel pretty good with the talent that we've got uh, coming back. Yeah, I'm not going to say it's our weak link. I'll say it's um, not our strongest position group on the defensive side of the ball um, because, you know, behind Nolan Turner and Landon Sanders, you can, you have some freshmen and sophomores and really unproven guys. And even Landon Sanders himself, he's only a true sophomore playing in limited snaps last year, really. But um, it seemed like he played more than he did because when he was out on, when he was out on the field, he made an impact and you noticed that guy and it wasn't just his hair. You know, he's a big hitter, made a lot of plays in the backfield. Um, so really excited to see him assume that starters role this year um, and for maybe a couple more years to come. Uh, but behind those guys, you know, the, the cupboards are a little bit bare. You got talented guys in Ray Thornton, Joseph Charleston and Jalen Phillips, but again, not, not guys with a ton of experience. So um, I think as you've seen in your years past that those um, you're going to see the starters assume most of the playing time. Um, obviously I think last year, Nolan Turner and Denzel Johnson got a little bit more playing time than usual. We, they were definitely added to, um, or contributed to having better depth last year, but not so much this year. And we're going to have to make that up in recruiting, but I, I do think you're right. I think these are dependable, solid guys. And with the, the play of the defensive line and the, and the linebackers, I think it'll take a lot of the burden off of them this year. 
Um, and I, yeah, I agree. I don't necessarily see them being a liability, but when we get into playing more elite offenses, that's when that's going to be exposed. Yeah. You know, this, this is linked inextricably with the cornerback play. Um, if you don't see those corners kind of meet their, their ceiling or their expectation, that could put a lot more pressure on the safeties. Um, I, I think you're, we're certainly going to miss the contributions of Kayvon Wallace. He, both he and Isaiah Simmons allow this defense to be, have a lot of different types of look based on where they could line up and be positioned on the field. And um, it remains to be seen if we sort of have that type of flexibility with the talent on this team. Um, maybe Ben, we can pivot slightly to the linebackers. Um, Mike Jones Jr. is going to be playing that Sam linebacker position. Uh, a lot of positive commentary coming out of coach Brent Venables and the, the whole staff about Mike Jones and his development which is great. I mean, you had Dorian O'Daniel, you had Isaiah Simmons, kind of two really exemplary um, guys representing that position on this team and on this defense. So good to hear, at least from the early going, that uh, redshirt sophomore Mike Jones Jr. is kind of the next guy up and seems to be in a good position. Um, after him, you've got true freshman Trenton Simpson, highly touted recruit, six foot three, two twenty five. Um, believe he was a five star. He might have been a four star. Um, but in any event, you know, really, it's pretty sure it was five. Yeah. I I guess if we think about kind of the indispensable players on this defense, I would look at actually the linebacker position as one where both with Mike Jones jr. And probably James Skalski that you really can afford, you know, the, the depth chart and the experience level is so critical at linebacker. I'm not saying you can just plug a guy in at corner, you know, DK is obviously critical. Tyler Davis is critical, but really I think those two, the Mike and the Sam linebackers, are, are two positions where, you know, we really got to be able to ride a guy that's in that seat at this point. Yeah. And I think Mike Jones Jr. Just because there's not a lot of experience depth behind him at that position. And then Skalski, just because he's a complete player, um, you know, fifth year grad student, um, he's going to be a monster this year. Unfortunately, he has to sit out the first half of Wake Forest um, due to the targeting uh, penalty in what the a, national championship. What a dumb role. It's, it's ridiculous. It, it makes no sense. I think missing the second half of the national championship game should be punishment enough. Yeah. Um, or it's just litigated in the season in which it occurred. Yeah. And exactly. it's in the bowl. Game. Like you're not at that point incentivizing ejections and targeting to happen because they know they're not going to miss the first half of yeah. the opener. Like, it's just well, and, and we've talked about it before. I think the rule in general is a little bit too harsh to be throwing kids out of the game. Um, it needs to be looked at again, but well, anyways, yeah, like you need like a flagrant one flagrant two exactly sort of situation. And like, look, you don't want referees having to like litigate intent on the field, but there's incidental targeting and then there's head hunting. Yeah. So, well, anyways, um, we digress. Uh, don't take our Skalski away from us anymore. Is that, I think that's what we're saying. Um, uh, so yeah, it's going to be hard to fill in for him too, behind that Mike position, you know, Jake Venables came in and, and played well in his absence in the national championship game. But behind that, um, you know, you got a guy like King Patterson who was high on the coaches, uh, kind of praise list last year, but we've, we need to see him emerge and, and, you know, it's hard for freshmen and sophomore linebackers to really, um, get Britain Venable system. It's, it's something that we've always seen guys come along after about their third, fourth year or so. Um, so it's hard to rely on these freshmen and sophomores that we see back there. You mentioned Trenton Simpson is a true freshman and, and penciled in a second on the depth chart behind Mike Jones Jr. I don't see him being the first guy in there when Mike Jones 
uh, Jr. comes out, which I think is going to happen a lot more this year than we saw Isaiah Simmons come off the field. Um, I think it's going to be more situational substitutions with him where uh, maybe a guy like Jalen Phillips comes in to fill that role or, or, you know, a Sheridan Jones, you bring another cornerback over to get a third cornerback on the field uh, at certain times, or a guy like Malcolm Green, uh, the true freshman, he's been cross training there. Um, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, I think I mean, there's no replacing Simmons. I think you can no, he was, he was, Simmons was the best position group on the defense last year, all by himself. Um, yeah. but I, it's, it's, um, it's going to be a group effort, right? It's the improved defensive line. It's, we do have, ex, again, experienced linebackers. I think all of our linebackers are, well, aside from Mike Jones, third year in the program, Bale Inspector, James Skalski, both grad students, right? So experience there. Behind Spectre, you got a guy, Keith McGuire, who's a redshirt freshman and was probably going to get a lot more playing time last year had he not gotten hurt early on um, in camp. And then Levanta Bentley turned some head last year too. So there's definitely guys there, but it's just hard for these um, uh, these underclassmen to get a lot of playing time in Brent Venable system, but we're probably going to need one or two of them to really come along this year and put in some significant minutes. Um, but I really do expect guys like Skalski and Specter uh, to carry most of the load as far as the snap count is concerned uh, throughout the year. Yeah. yeah and uh, as uh, Calvin Kraft pointed out at STS, um, you know, Brent Venables, his specialty is taking a guy that's been on the team a few years, kind of an unsung hero. And when they finally do get that chance and that spotlight, you know, emerging and really making a big impact, um, you've seen that repeatedly over the years. BJ Goodson, Spencer Shuey, uh, Kendall Joseph, when he got that call up and that opportunity, and um, Chad Smith a year ago. So uh, really look for Balen Spector, I think, to show out this year, uh, six foot two, 230. Um, you know, very good athlete. I think it's going to be great to see him at the well position um, sort of, you know, emerge and get his, get his due. And, uh, you know, the line, the linebacker play is going to be linked to that D line. If the D line is a lot more effective, you know, I think you're going to see the linebackers probably seem to feel like they're, they're having a much better season. Um, you probably will see them get involved in the blitzing game um, probably a bit more than we saw last year with the linebacking core. So that'll be really interesting to see. You know, is that a specialty of Bale Inspector this year? Or is he really going to be, um, you know, covering the middle, kind of taking care of um, running back and tight end kind of peel outs? So um, that's kind of another game within the game to look for is just like, you know, what are we getting from the linebacker position? But I think improved line play is definitely going to help them out. Yeah, well, and I think James Skalski is going to um, uh, benefit more than anybody else. I think he really becomes a household name this year and works his way up uh, top four rounds in the draft perhaps, uh, maybe, maybe top bucket, three. Buckets award. Yeah, finalist. no, yeah. Abs- absolutely. And that, that would be my expectation. Again, I think this revamp reloaded defensive line, um, is just going to be a domino effect throughout the rest of the defense. It's going to make every single other position group better. Yeah. Well, can't say it enough, Ben. I mean, we're very bullish on this defense. I think we talk a little bit about, we need to see the corners establish themselves to really see the ceiling of this defense. I think the ceiling of this defense is to be right there in the same breath with the 2018 defense, the 2016 team as well, uh, which is just such high praise. And even, even if they don't achieve that, those high heights, I don't know that, it's, that they necessarily have to in order for Clemson to win a championship. Well, and what's interesting this year is that we are bullish on them, but it's not like years past. We're, we're only um, predicting, uh, we're predicting this success 
with only like three guys who made significant impacts last year and Tyler Davis, Darren Kendrick and Skalski. Right. Um, yeah. so Turner uh, to a left Turner and inspector um, third string safety. Yeah. And you know, Williams and Pinckney got playing yeah. time last year. We weren't dominant by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so, but yeah, we we still have high hopes for this group. It, you know, it's just a ton of talent and, uh, the great recruiting the past several years, having that number one recruiting class last year. I mean, it surely helps when you have guys like Brisset and Miles Murphy coming in here as five stars that are going to be able to contribute right away. But even, I would say even like subconsciously to that, it's knowing the coaching staff and how right. they develop and how they've handled turnover in years past. Like I remember 2015, our first year, six seasons ago, crazy. First year doing the podcast, we're like, oh man, Grady Jarrett's gone. You know, Vic Beasley has been gone. You know, we were expecting a step back from the defense. Didn't really see that. Saw a different look. You know, same thing the following year when we lost Shaq Lawson and Mac, um, and you know, most of our secondary. Didn't really see that drop off going into the championship season of sixteen. So I think there's like a built-in faith in the coaching staff. You know, in a few years ago, we might have looked at this turnover from last year to this with Isaiah Simmons um, and a lot of other guys kind of departing and. We might say, and oh man, we're missing Xavier Thomas. Like we might look at that and say, yeah, this could be a step back on defense. And we're really going to put a lot of pressure on TL and the offense. I don't really know that that's the case. I think we're all just licking our chops, looking at you know the talent coming in, um, and some of these these you know guys that have been waiting their turn, being able to step into it. So I think just it's credit to the coaching staff of what they've shown from the ability to develop guys and just take the talent that they do have and form that into a really effective defensive scheme. Yeah. Well, certainly there's a trust factor there, right? We're very familiar with this coaching staff and Venables, obviously we know he's going to put um, a good product on the field. So um, kind of thinking about what type of offense might be able to stymie this defense this year. Um, I will say nobody on our regular season schedule, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, well, no quarterbacks can challenge, you know, downfield, Right. Right. Well, so maybe like Sam Howell at, at North Carolina, should they make it into the ACC championship game? But otherwise, I think you're having to wait till you see some more dynamic offenses um, in the playoffs. But, you know, to me, with the pressure we're going to be getting on quarterbacks, I would I would tend to think it would need to be a, teams that can kind of execute the quick passing game and get the ball out of the quarterback's hand early to kind of mitigate that pressure that we're going to be bringing and then make some plays in the open field. Um, so, yeah, I think picking on um, – uh, kind of the middle of the defense and then the, the back layers of the secondary is where you're going to find the most success going up against Clemson this year. But um, if you're allowing us to get pressure on you, which we are going to do and your quarterback's going to be scrambling, then um, there's not going to be a lot of time for those wide receivers to get open and your quarterback's going to be in trouble. A lot more sacks this year. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I look at what Alabama was able to do in the Natty game in 2018 as a potential you know, when we're, when we're D line first, when we're get after the passer first, it'll really be interesting to look at how effective this team is at containing the run. Obviously you have different personnel here. You're going to have some Frankenstein's and Brzee. You're going to have Tyler Davis disrupting in the middle and James Skalski. Like those are three looks that are different from Trey Lamar um, and, and who we had kind of roving the middle in that, in that game. We also were without Dexter Lawrence, I should point out. So um, in any event, like, yeah, a, a ground and pound, very effective running game would be interesting to see Clemson kind of shut down. I haven't scouted the ACC enough to see if we will have that type of an opponent in like a pit or a Boston college. Those two typically 
tend to have, you know, an effective running game from an offensive standpoint. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping we do face that type of an offense just so we can see what we have and prepare the team a bit for the playoffs. But I think you're right. I feel like in Oklahoma or a, an Alabama, you know, with their new quarterback, those are the type of offenses that I think could put this defense, um, at least into a challenging position, but Oklahoma, let's see them stop our offense. Right. Well, our, we've seen their spectacular offenses in the past only had to go for against a real defense and, and for them to be stopped cold. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I don't, this defense is not going to be, should not be, um, uh, uh, challenged too, too yeah. much or exposed early on in the season. It's really, you know, we go up against better offenses later in the year. That's when we're really going to get to know them. That's kind of how it's been the last several years. Um, for Clemson football. Um, before we get off the defense, um, you know, we're going to have to do this and we need to bite the bullet this year because we're probably going to see this guy play a good bit. <clears throat> so I think we need to commit ourselves to saying his name and practicing his name once every podcast. Um, I'll let, I'll go first and you follow. Rook or Horhoro? Rook or Roro? Sound like Scooby Doo. Um, okay. <laughs> Rook. Ruko, Ruko, we we stand Ruk on this show. I need, I I, we need to, we need to get in touch with Tim Bure, um to get mm-hmm. the correct fanatic, uh, fanatical uh, pronunciation of his name. But um, guy's yeah. gonna make an impact, and he's just another one of those guys in the two deep on the defensive line that's gonna wreak some havoc this year. Mm-hmm. So Ben, safe to say we're very bullish on this defense and what this means for the upshot of the Clemson football team this year. Um, super excited. These are the good old days still. So just hope really, you know, talking about appreciating and cherishing every snap from ETN and Trevor. I think this year is about, we're starting to see the glimpses of what will be the next dominant Clemson defense. You know, whether like we have a lot of guys, a lot of youth on this defense, certainly there's going to be some guys that move on after this year, but you know, this is just that like first year of that, like Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, like we're back to that kind of era here. And, um, I could not be more excited to watch this defense develop, even against somewhat of a softer ACC schedule. You know, this is going to be the part of the team that I'm most excited to see. So over under uh, points per game. Yeah. 13 and a half. That's a pretty good number, man. Um, I might go, I might go over. I might say more like in the 16, 17 range on average going under. Okay. The ACC sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got a point. I think maybe just there's enough kind of newness team feeling it all out. Um, I don't know who's going to score into the thirties, but yeah, no, you're probably right. <laughs> Good position to be in. Well, Ben, with that, you know, this defense is going to be stacked. Why don't we move over to special teams? So once again, we've got BT Potter. This will be his junior year coming back as our place kicker um, and Will Spires at punter. So sort of the same duo, third year in a row, um, coming back in the kicking game. Um, I don't have a ton to add or, or to say about these guys. Um, I think both of them are going to be, uh, they've got redshirt freshmen kind of backing them up. I don't know the extent to which it's going to be a tight race, you know, if, if either of them start missing kicks or flubbing punts. Um, they're going to be pressured, but, um, 
you know, there's just not a lot to say from a special teams preview standpoint about these guys. I hope they're accurate and I hope they're good. Yeah, that's about all I got. I mean, we just need to see improvement uh, with BT Potter this year and his accuracy kind of, uh, you know, in that less than 40 yard range. Obviously, we know he has a huge leg and he's been able to hit some big kicks and, and crunch situations. Um, and then Spires just, you know, he did it last. He got better last year. He just needs to continue to get better. Um, maybe add, you know, two or three more yards to his to his um, to his punts this year on average. And I think we'd be in good shape. Um, and obviously you got Potter on kickoffs. He's going to continue to be that. Um, you know, continue to put them in the back of the end zone like he has done for um, the past couple of years now. Um, yeah, I think the big thing is, you know, punt and kick return. You know, do we see some DeMarcus Bowman get out there? Um, you know, they have Travis Etienne listed second on the depth chart behind Ngata. But, yeah, I don't really see that happening until maybe later in the year. Um, so I think you might see DeMarcus Bowman in there a little bit more. But overall, we don't return a lot of kicks. We don't return a lot of punts because it's just – kind of safer to get it to our offense, but Hey, maybe this is the year for the first time in a long time that uh, we see a kick return and, you know, maybe get a punt return or so. CJ Spiller is on staff, man. That is true. Maybe they'll just divine some motivation from CJ, but yeah, I think it's don't let this part of the team become a liability and um, see if we can flip fields or, you know, break, break a few here and there. Uh, but for me, it's really about this just being a very consistent, reliable, uneventful part of the team, uh, unlike what goes on at Alabama. Ben, enough kind of talking about the team itself. I think, you know, pretty thorough preview there of what we, we, we expect and what we're going to see. Um, when we think about kind of the season as a whole, obviously it's a revamped schedule. We're going to play ACC only, with the addition of the Citadel. Um, I think we've touched a little bit on how the season breaks down from like a chapters standpoint. Uh, but when you kind of look ahead to this season, is there any, is there anything that gives you pause that, you know, th that this Clemson team is going to face adversity um, within the schedule? Like, is there anything in the ACC regular season that, you know, strikes you as something that could become problematic? I mean, obviously you have, you know, well, I would say no leading up until the Notre Dame game. I think the first, what is that? One, two, three, four, six, seven, first seven games of our schedule um, are obviously all easily winnable. Um, maybe we'll see where uh, Derek King has at Miami, but I just, they're still not even with him on our same level, um, even, especially with Rousseau um, opting out for the season. So yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think the birth, the obviously the first big matchup comes that Notre Dame game um, in South Bend, beginning of November. It's going to be cold. It could be snowing. So I think there's some adversity there. But you know, I, I, to be honest with you, I don't think Notre Dame is as good um, as, as everybody has them pegged right now. Um, Ian Book, I don't think is a phenomenal quarterback by any stretch of the imagination. They've lost, um, you know, all their best wide receivers. I think their top running back as top well. Four top four pass catchers and they're running back. Yeah. So yeah. I just, I just don't yeah. see them um, being as, you know, I think the elements maybe um, could be the equalizer in this game, but even then I trust this Clemson football team to ground and pound it over, over a Notre Dame team. Um, and then, so after that, you know, we got a bye week what after the Notre Dame game before FSU, we'll see if FSU is any much more improved this year, but I still think that should be a bit of an easy um, win in, in Tallahassee. Um, Pitt 
And then at and then at Virginia Tech, no, I think Pitt is going to be a, a decent football team this year with Kenny Pickett coming back. So, and then at Black in Blacksburg uh, to finish the year on December fifth again could be another cold weather game. So, um, yeah. the, the first you know whatever seven games three four five six seven yes um, seven games are not that daunting. But the end of our schedule is actually somewhat entertaining. We'll see how the um, uh, the season kind of plays out for these Pitt, FSU, and Virginia Tech teams and really get the sense of how good Notre Dame actually is. But I think that's the highlight of the schedule there. So it actually kind of helps us get tested a little bit more towards the end of the season. And then obviously you throw in an ACC championship game before heading into the playoffs. Yeah. Which, which I'm right. assuming we are making it to. Yeah. So my season prediction, 11-0 ACC champs. <laughs> I'll get to mine in a few, but uh, just kind of going through how you broke it down, um, agree fully the first kind of six, seven weeks, there may be a test in the Miami game, uh, will be good. I think it'll be nice to have a, you know, a capable quarterback to see what we've got from the secondary position and see what the developments look like by that point. Um, there, I see a lot of rebuilding and developmental teams on this schedule, though, leading into Notre Dame, like BC, first year head coach, um, Syracuse. That's probably our easiest you know, game of the year. Yeah, exactly. What? Georgia Tech, second-year coach. Um, Miami, first-year quarterback, first-year offensive system. UVA, uh, brand-new quarterback coming in. Uh, Wake, uh, Wake's not good. No. So uh, <laughs> we'll get to – I guess we'll probably touch on Wake here before we wrap. But, yeah, um, it will be good. I think, the, you know, you, you picked Pitt as kind of the game that you see being uh, potentially interesting late. I, for me, it's between FSU and Virginia Tech. Um, and certainly, look, make no bones about it. Notre Dame's going to be our toughest game of the year. But in terms of other games, I don't want to call it a letdown, but just like where a team could surprise us and look, look feisty. I, I go between FSU and Virginia Tech. Um, if you think about those Willie Tagger teams that we just obliterated, um, and just those teams generally, not just in the games we played, a lot of it was just like mental mistakes you know, lack of preparation, you could tell, lack of gelling of guys, lack of discipline. Um, a lot of, they certainly had the talent. That's why we laughed so much. Like they still had the talent. They were not recruiting at a Clemson level, but they still had, you know, talented guys on their roster. They just weren't really executing, putting it together. There's a lot of reasons to believe Mike Norvell is not going to get that done in his first year, just from what we've heard out of FSU, but uh, they've got the talent still. And if he can fix some of those coaching, like glaring coachable mistakes and errors, FSU could be, you know, could get a lot more wins than I think people are penciling in for them. Um, so that could be tricky. I don't think Clemson's going to be intimidated at all by road games or empty stadiums. I think generally you want to favor the better coach team, the team with experience and talent, and that's going to be us. Like, I think talent generally wins out in those types of variables. Um, so that's going to be good. I just think maybe FSU is a little punchier than, than maybe we're expecting going into the year. Um, and I hope they are like, I hope that, you know, FSU can rise back to a, a place of respectability because we certainly need that on our schedule in, in, the, in the coming years. Yeah. No, I think it's that slate of games. I mean, our three toughest road games of the season um, come in three of our four last games of the season. And then arguably our toughest home game against Pitt is in that last four group as well. Maybe it's Miami. Um, we'll see how the season plays out. Maybe that's a one A and one B. Um, but yeah, that's the, the toughest chunk of our schedule. So um, you know, kind of nice to have those games all grouped together. We're just going to have to suffer through a little bit with some of the more boring, um, affairs, 
uh, early on. Yeah. But at this point, I, I'm obviously, I, or honestly, I'm not complaining about it. I'm just, I'll be happy to see football. Yeah, it would have been cool to have a bit more of a test early. I agree with you, but you know, beggars cannot be choosers. So nope. I guess then when we think about how it all plays out with uh, the ACC championship game in Syria, obviously there's no divisions, which is great. Uh, we're going to see, you know, assuming Clemson either runs the table or is in the final two, um, likely someone we haven't played yet, you know, unless Notre Dame otherwise runs the table and we get a rematch with them. But I think a lot of people are earmarking either Notre Dame or North Carolina for that game. Um, would be interested to hear your take. Who'd you rather face? Kind of Notre Dame a second time or UNC? Um, I'd rather play North Carolina. Um, you know, I don't really, well, it depends. If Notre Dame beats us and we make it in, obviously I want to play Notre Dame again uh, yeah. to get that revenge. Um, but otherwise I'd right. say I'd want to play North Carolina. I want to see us play Sam Howe again. Um, maybe try to get a little revenge for last year, that, that narrow one point victory. Um, scare that we had and so um, and maybe just some revenge but kind of um, making up for some 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 bad memories and some poor play that's on right, the field that's right the wrong exactly yeah. so yeah Notre, uh, North Carolina I think would be my number one choice um, assuming that we've already beaten Notre Dame yeah and Chase Bryce and Duke aren't also an option there I didn't give you that choice no that's, I just yeah I just answer. don't think I mean even with Chase Bryce I don't think Duke overall as a team is up to the level of either North Carolina or Notre Dame. Um, but I think Notre Dame leads with Duke um, uh, this mm-hmm. year. So that'll we'll be something early. Yeah. That's something I'll certainly yeah. be watching next week. I mean, we love Chase Bryce here. We are Chase Bryce stands. I think there's probably a higher likelihood. He's going to end up like Hunter Johnson and Kelly Bryant than he is emerging. as, And that has to do with Duke and not, Chase Bryce. I think you'll see flashes from him. And I think, uh, yeah, I think what he has, he has two more years. Of, he might have three more years of eligibility now. Um, so he's not going to be a Kelly Bryan in the sense that he's only got one shot and he's done, you know? Right. Um, right I don't right. think he's going to be a Hunter Johnson in a sense. And then A, I think in hindsight, he's a better quarterback. And B, Duke is not nearly as terrible um, as Northwestern um, all around. So. I don't know. Yeah. We could be surprised by Chase Bryce, and I look forward to watching him continue his uh, college football career. I'm pulling for him for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm with you on the 11 and 0 call. I do not see a loss on the schedule. I think anyone talking about any of our opponents is, you know, really looking at just one aspect of that team. You know, it's fashionable to kind of pick against uh, the behemoth. So I understand it, but really not seeing an ACC opponent that's going to be able to topple Clemson. Um, so 11 and 0, we will definitely take that. Um, that ought to qualify Clemson for the playoffs. Then this year it's the Rose bowl and it's the sugar bowl again. And um, I think I'd be all right if we were, and it, look, there's no teams West, of, like everyone's closest game would be the sugar bowl, even if it's like Oklahoma, right. Or Texas. So um, I'm cool with being the two seed and we get the Rose bowl. Even if there's no fans, I'll still go tailgate. Yeah, well, it's not far for us. Exactly. We do well in California, apparently. Um, So I guess that takes us to, well, do you want to do kind of season player level uh, picks or do you want to talk about the playoffs? Well, let's let's go ahead and finish up with the season overall prediction here and talk about the playoffs. So I kind of see two scenarios I think we have to think about this in. Um, because, 
you know, there is still an outside chance that the Big Ten and or Pac-12 end up joining in in time on the season um, to join in on the playoffs. So I'm, it's, it's yeah. still out there. I mean, Trump, Trump called their athletic director, man, like, you know, presidential powers. Commissioner. Yeah, the, or the commissioner yeah. of the Big I Ten. I guess, so. like, if they don't play, you know, 10 games, then it's, it's like false. Like, I just don't know that it, that they should qualify. No, but I think that there's enough weeks still from that October 10th start that they're considering to fit that in. So let's just assume there's two different scenarios. So for me, sure. in the world where there's no Big Ten or Pac-12 participants, um, then my four playoff teams, I've got number one Clemson playing number four Georgia, um, and then Alabama at number two versus Oklahoma at number three. Um, you know, even though Jamie Newman at Georgia has decided to opt out, um, they've got the quarterback transfer um, uh, from USC that might have, you know, kind of aided in, in helping him make that decision. Um, so they will have a new quarterback, but they are going to have a really great defense. Um, and I think that they are more than capable of, of being the top team in the SEC East this year um, with possibly their only loss to Alabama. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that that gets them in there. Um, and number four, just because I don't think there's a lot of other really great teams in the country. Once you remove some of these big and 10 and pack 12 teams, um, you know, Alabama at number two, you know, I think we will probably see Bryce young, the true freshman come in and, and start over Mac Jones at some point in this season. Uh, and, you know, they are Alabama. They're going to be a formidable opponent. So I see them, um, back up here at number two in the playoffs this year. And then Oklahoma, um, they've got a new, uh, registered freshman quarterback and Spencer, Rattler starting for them this year, but in, you know, I, I think just in Lincoln Raleigh's offense there at Oklahoma, anybody can flourish. Um, um, and with Big 12 defenses, so and I just don't think Oklahoma, especially not having non conference games, um, against some better teams, maybe from the SEC or Pac 12 or something like that, that um, they don't have we don't have that comparison to be able to make, right? And so they'll run their conference and they'll be in there number three. I, I do think OU is going to emerge. I'm not going to pencil or choose, pencil in or choose Texas until I actually see it happen on the field. I think Baylor could give them some fits though. Um, people kind of forget how feisty Baylor was last year under Matt rule. Um, Matt rule, go to Carolina. <laughs> yes. Never mind. It's not going to be Baylor. Uh, it's going to be OU. So um, the SEC, it, it boils down to the SEC. Like, okay, I'm not going to talk about the scenario where the Pac-12 and the Big Ten figure it out because I don't think they will. Um, now, I did see on game day on Saturday, uh, Larry Scott, commissioner of the Pac-12, say, look, we've got two machines in every training room where we can do 15-minute test results, and that may cause us to move up the time in which we think we can play our first game. But I have a feeling that's going to be more like Thanksgiving time frame and not, you know, October 10th or enough what's, time to get what's, what's the nine, point? 10 weeks in. What's the point at that point? Like, why would you start around Thanksgiving? Like flu season is like in full go. You think it's going to be any safer? Like it doesn't make any sense. If you're not going to start now, it makes no sense to start then. Uh, maybe in a sick twisted world, they're like, we will delegitimize the playoff that doesn't include us if we're already playing football by that point. I don't have no idea, but I'm going to go ahead and say like that scenario is not going to work. So uh, with the conferences that actually opted into playing, I think it really is, you know, from a Clemson standpoint, like maybe it is OU that makes it, but until I see an Oklahoma defense, like show up in a playoff at a conference, um, like I hope we play them first, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, it, it really then becomes about the SEC. Uh, I have not, I know that um, just as part of their regular season matchup, um, Alabama outside of some previously arranged games and Georgia both got pretty good cupcake kind of cross cross division opponents um, for the year. So really like, I think you can kind of eliminate LSU at this point, like just with what they've, what they've lost both um, to the NFL draft and also guys opting out um, the case of DeMar Chase um, and their coaching staff on offense is completely new and turned over. Uh, so I guess what I'm, sort of getting at there is it's like the Florida, Georgia, Alabama trio. Um, you're likely going to see two teams emerge from that. I think it'd be cool to think that we could get two ACC teams in. Um, maybe, a, I mean, at this point, what, just, what makes that difficult is Notre Dame and Clemson would have to play twice. I don't, um, yeah, and then you put them in the playoffs. There's just, no, there's no way that that happens. I don't see, the only yeah. way that I see um, two ACC teams getting in is if, um, Notre Dame has to beat Clemson at least one of those times in the first. For, yeah. Yeah. For that to happen within the right, either the regular somehow, season or the ACC championship game. And then both teams don't lose another game. They only have losses to each other. Right. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. so, you know, I think it, you still lean heavily on the SEC here. They just have the talent all around. Now, if you, if you assume the big 10 and PAC 12 opt in, um, you know, my take would be uh, the Pac-12 really being involved has n- nothing to do with any of my predictions here. <laughs> so I don't have Oregon um, in any of my top fours. I think the difference for me would be is that I would shift Bama to three, Oklahoma to four, and then insert Ohio State there at two. Um, yeah, and you know, I, I think that's pretty obvious. So then we've got. I think the they'd be my number one. They'd actually be my number one. It, we'll, um, we'll, we'll see. Well, I mean, it, it depends on the season. Um, obviously that they've got better, um, they've got better matchups uh, across the board. They're a much more entertaining season. And maybe you right. do try to set, yeah, then you could play us against Bama at number three. So yeah, I think those are interchangeable. Um, but yeah, I, I think overall, we're not going to see a lot of parody this year and you teams in there just because you know, generally we would say teams, outside of the top seven or eight have no chance in getting into the playoffs. So now if you remove a couple of those um, because big 10 and PAC 12 aren't playing, that gets it down to five or six and you're just picking from the same handful of teams. I don't see uh, a team emerging this year that, that kind of shocks us. Um, so, well, okay. So Ben, do we want to see like, is there a scenario for you where a group of five team runs its schedule? Nope. 14 point wins every single game. Nope. And then you've got, Okay. So they no got they, they got their opportunities yanked out from under them because they're not able to play um, these larger conference opponents. You know, their one opportunity, kind of like how Gonzaga has in basketball. Like they have to beat, they have to play some really strong non-conference opponents because their conference season is not that strong. So I just do not see it. And you saw it with with BYU playing tonight. They had a lot of great games scheduled this year, but I think um, only two out of their original schedule. Um, are on their schedule now. They've had to fill it in with other teams. So I think that they're getting hurt, those group of fives, more than independence and um, more than anybody this year. Um, so all that being said, I would say at the end of the season, Clemson is national champions over either Alabama or Ohio State. It depends. If Ohio State's in, I have them in the, in the natty. Yeah, I think for me, this year was building up to be one where Georgia was actually going to be have possibly the edge in the SEC over Alabama. Um, but with 
Jamie Newman opting out, uh, JT Daniels has, he's coming off an AC, ACL injury from a year ago. Um, he's already being held out from camp due to some undisclosed injury. And, uh, there's just a lot of question marks there. Um, and the fact that Kirby couldn't coach his way out of a paper bag, <laughs> I feel that, yeah, it's, it's going to be Clemson Bama. What is it? Five by now, um, at, at some point of that matchup. Um, yeah. I'd be interested though. Like, could this be a weird, this is a weird year. Could this be a year that you get just like the, the oddball Auburn emergence, you know, in a weird, in a year like this, like you're kind of penciling in chalk. And I understand, I, I think I probably ultimately land on the same side of that, but this is a weird 2020 is wacky. Isn't that the type of year that Auburn thrives in? It could be. And I think, again, it comes down to, to COVID as well. We just can't predict that. So we're not including those in our predictions here. Um, I still think a team like Alabama has the depth um, to emerge. You know, if you have some guys uh, get sick and have to sit out the same thing with Clemson. Well, have, yeah. Outside of the quarterback position, like they bring a ton of guys back still at the running back position, right. wide receiver talent, defense. So, and last year was basically a down year for Bama and they were right there in the playoff hunt. So, yeah. Well, I mean, Auburn's going to have their opportunities. They've got at Georgia uh, and at Alabama. So, <laughs> and then versus LSU. So, and, you know, win all three of those games and then handle the rest. Then yeah, sure. They're in, but that's, that's, that's tough sledding there. Yeah. And the only other team that has a prayer, like I, I would put Auburn above LSU in terms of a shot at making it back in um, would be Florida. And again, beat Georgia, then talk to me similar yeah. to how I feel about Texas with Oklahoma. Yeah. So um, I don't know. In any event, I don't have like my specific prediction, but I do think the way this is playing out, it is Clemson's national championship to lose. And fortunately we've got, you know, leadership on the team, leadership in the coaching staff. that has been there before that I feel like all, all of that stuff is going to play to our advantage um, against any, any, QB that's first year in their system, you know, would, would, would kind of pretend to be, uh, we said that going into the national championship game last year and Clemson got worked by LSU. I still think that game, um, I really haven't come to grips with my feelings on that game yet, but I still feel like, you know, you play that game a few different times. There's a different, different final score. Um, but anyway, doesn't look like at this stage, at least there's going to be an all time great offense you know, or an all-time great defense that Clemson will be facing on the level that LSU was. Um, so in that sense, I feel pretty confident in calling another Clemson championship. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think Ohio State is really the team that could challenge us um, better than right. anybody else. And so with the uncertainty of them not playing, um, but that would be a hell of a game to watch and it would be a great rematch right. from the game last year. Well, and all my previous comments were, again, assuming no Pac-12, no Big Ten. If it is Ohio State Clemson, um, I almost feel like they would try to schedule us for the first uh, semifinal just to assure that matchup happens, um, and then they would be left as like the winner of our game against Bama. But um, man, that would be a really fun time. I would see. I, I, I would see. I'd still have to see Clemson or Ohio State, and it one or two. I mean, maybe there's a world where Bama's number one. And Clemson, yeah. Ohio State. Or I mean, if they if they go undefeated in SEC, like you're not yeah. keeping Bama at a number right. one. Yeah, it's um, a good point. Anyway, in any event, like Ohio I, State. I also see Bama losing one game this year. Matchup. I I agree. I think you're right. At least one. Um, so, 
I don't know, Ben. The more I, I mean, I am getting more amped up about this. It's a little bit unfortunate that we're going to have to wait an additional two weeks to see the SEC start playing. Does the Big 12 kick off the same weekend as Clemson? I believe so. Okay. Cool. Well, uh, Clemson's got the the nightcap. Yeah, they do. Time. They start next week. They start this week too. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Clemson against Wake Forest, we should maybe touch on this game coming up um, just to serve as a preview here. Um, they have Sam Hartman at quarterback. I think he was off and on um, with Jamie Newman the last couple of seasons. Um, their top receiver option is opting out for the year. Um, they have a stud. Gosh, what is this guy's name? Um, Big Forest D. Good, good audio here. Um, Boogie Basham. Boogie Basham's going to be an all ACC defensive lineman. You came up with Boogie Basham off the. <laughs> that is this guy's name. How could you not remember that name? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so uh, look for Boogie Basham to test our. I'm going to look for Boogie Basham. Revamped offensive line this weekend. That's one thing to watch for. Um, don't really know. I mean, I, again, like Sam Harbin, Dave Clawson, Clawsense, you know, he's an offensive specialist. I just don't know. They do not have the talent. It's not that I don't know if they have no. the talent. I know they no. don't have and, the talent. And they're the type of team that, you know, needs to get a few games under their belt before they start to gel. Right. So they're and Clemson is not going to be that necessarily, at least the talent differential is enough where it's not going to matter to Clemson. So um, this should be a blowout. Uh, Clemson will win this going away uh, fairly easily. It'll be over at halftime. May very well be over after the first quarter. I agree, 100%. So um, there will be 19,000 Clemson fans in the stadium. I, for one, Ben, am really eager to hear well, what for that the, sounds like. For the Citadel game. Oh, none this week? Well, we're at Wake Forest this week. Oh, we're at Wake. All right. I'm, I'm way off. Which means so I, probably, I wonder what, which is probably yeah. 19,000 Clemson fans there. Yeah. If, if they did. It, what, what do 1,900 fans sound like? I don't think, I don't even, I don't even think Wake's allowing fans in yet. So, um, yeah. either way, it's going to, it's going to, there's going to look to be as about as many Wake Forest fans in the stand as usual. So I don't think we'll miss them. What you'll notice is the less Clemson fans there in the stadium. That's right. Um, yeah. So again, it'll be against Citadel. Well, what I was going to say is I'm curious, what do 19,000 fans sound like from a broadcast or even being in the stadium? I'm not going to be at any home games this year, but. Well, uh, what, what, is, what is interesting, I know what zero fans sound like because I was watching that the BYU Navy game earlier and they had no fans in the stand. And it's actually kind of cool. You can hear the players reaction on the sidelines, um, you know, live um, as plays are happening. So um, there is background noise. So. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. It's gonna it's gonna be weird, but it's kind of the least of my concerns. Is the um, I don't think it's gonna be so weird that it has actually much of an effect, except it could affect certain teams' home field advantage. I think it's in Clemson's favor that Notre Dame is not gonna have a ton of fans in the stands, um, but it's kind of the least of my worries too. Um, yeah. Now that I'm already resigned not to being able to go to Notre Dame and. Probably not because of the national championship game. We'll see how that works out if they actually allow fans. It is in Miami. It is in Miami. Uh, well, you will get your chance to go to Notre Dame. We play them seven times in the next 10 years. So, um, And that's if they don't join the ACC yeah. long term. 
Uh, well, cool. Well, that is our season preview again. Uh, let's just put a bow on it. 11 and 0. Uh, either Rose Bowl or Sugar Bowl champs, national champs. That would make it what, Ben? Three in six years? Three out of five. Well, we got to throw in 15. That counts. 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. That would be three out of six. Yeah, but you take that would be three I, out of the last five. Yeah, I know. Anyway, it, to, make we it, went, to make it sound better, that sounds like a, a very political spin way to look at it's it. It's a marketing but, move. It's a marketing yeah, move. If you talk 100%. about our recent history well, of college football playoffs, that'd be three out of six championships and th- in six straight playoff appearances. Absolutely. Um, we'll so take yeah, it. it's going to be, we'll take it. It's going to be nice. Uh, grow the trophy room. We definitely have room on the scoreboard, the end zone, kind of exterior scoreboard um, over the hill. So, uh, you know, let's get that penciled in. But um, in all seriousness, uh, thanks to everyone for tuning in. We are the podcast. Uh, really excited about this season. Obviously, it's surreal. It's unique. It's going to be weird. We are here to break it down for you and with you. Um, please reach out to us if you have any, you know, burning topics you want us to hit. It's been a while since we've done a mailbag. Why not do one now? Um, you know where to find us on social media. We are Clemson Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. ClemsonPodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach us there. Guys, this is the time of year when a lot of people, opponent teams, you know, people starting to go to Clemson, fans getting back into the team, they're looking for podcasts. We really would appreciate it. If you like the show, go over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. We do appreciate it. It's a good way to uh, get the SEO juice up for our show when people are looking up podcasts about Clemson. Uh, so we do appreciate that. We appreciate the longtime listeners, Joy Fowler, Uncle Billy. You guys are OGs. We love all of our OGs. Thanks for sticking with us. Ben, this is our sixth season. Sixth season, and we are um, so far five for five at the playoff appearances. So coincidence, I think. So not. when we make predictions about us going to the playoffs and winning national titles, like for the most part, we're right. That's right, exactly. It's a good so, batting average. Yes. So um, everyone, buckle up for a very fun and exciting and weird season. Um, please subscribe to the pod. Please tell some friends. And as always, go Tigers. 